Father, I confess it is easy to take for granted the fact that um, I have a Bible. I have several of them, uh, and we have many of them here. And um, Lord, we can we can grow um, just kind of indifferent. We can grow kind of used to it and uh, fail to realize what an incredible prayer precious gift it is from you, uh, that we can have your word, that we can uh, hear you speaking to us through it. And so we pray, Lord, now that as we look into your word, you will give us ears to hear, you will give us hearts to receive the truth that can set us free, that can change us, that can make us the people you want us to be. So, Lord, please, by your spirit, come and do what you alone can do. Speak to us, change us, make us... um, Make us more like Jesus today. We pray in his name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to the New Testament book of Colossians. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be one in the rack in front of you. And uh, if you, and Larry's got several, I'm sure. Uh, You can go borrow one from him. Uh, He'll give it to you. Uh, And if, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, you're welcome to take the one in the rack and make it yours. Put your name in it. We'd love for you to take it. That's our gift to you. Colossians chapter 3. Our series is entitled, Walk with Christ. And just to remind those of you who've been with us, and if, if you're uh, just uh, getting started with us, let me uh, explain what that title means. When you come to the place of acknowledging who Jesus Christ is, understanding who he is and what he has offered us because of his death and resurrection on our behalf, that gift of eternal life, when you come to understand that and you put your faith in Christ and become connected to him in a faith relationship, that is the beginning of a journey a journey that extends throughout our whole lives and ultimately into eternity. And the key to completing that journey well is learning to walk with Christ. That's a figure of speech that's talking about living our life step by step in relationship with Him, trusting Him to be our guide our most important companion as we journey through life, trusting him every step of the way. And in this book of Colossians, we are learning what that looks like because that's what this book talks about, walking with Christ. And one thing we have seen is that walking with Christ also involves walking with others. Because Jesus has given us companions for the journey. Uh, It's called the church, his people, fellow believers in Jesus. That's why Jesus puts us into churches, companions to help us on the journey. And we need their companionship to walk to live the way he wants us to. And when I use that word need, I'm not using that flippantly. I'm not using that casually. I really mean need. We need their companionship to, uh, to walk the way he wants us to do. Contrary to what we American individualists tend to believe, we really can't do this journey on our own. 
Okay, this walking with Jesus is not a solo hike through the wilderness all by ourselves. It is a group effort that requires teamwork with others who are on the same journey. So when you think of when you think of walking with Christ, I don't know what mental picture you have of that, but, but don't let it be this. Don't let your, your uh, thought of walking with Christ being that of a lone pioneer blazing a new trail all by himself. Instead, think of something like this. Think of a company of soldiers who are on a common mission, who have a common objective, and they are helping each other attain that objective. Walking with Christ is a community experience. And what we're going to see today is that in order to complete this journey together well, we need to become a certain kind of companion. There are certain qualities, certain characteristics that Uh, we need, that we need to develop in order to be genuinely helpful to others making the same journey, to contribute to our mission's success, to help us all get to where we're going. And so we're going to look at some of those qualities. There's there's a list of them we're going to look at. But before we look at the list, I want to point out something I think is very important. When you look at this list, when you hear this list, when you hear these qualities that we're going to be talking about, there's, there's two different responses that you can make to these qualities. One response would be to look at the list and then look around. And look around at the people around you and say, well, do I have any companions like this for my journey? Is my church like this? Are the people of my church this way? Because, see, we all need people like this. But there is a much better response, a much more helpful response, and that's to ask, am I this kind of companion for anyone else who's on the journey? See, if we all need people like this, then we all need to become people like this. I almost titled this message, how to be the kind of church other people will want to join. Because having these qualities will make us genuinely appealing and inviting and welcoming and helpful to people on the journey. And you know why that's true? It's because these qualities are ultimately qualities of Jesus himself. And as people experience these qualities through us, they are experiencing, they are savoring the aroma of Jesus himself. So before you measure other people by this list of qualities, I would encourage you to first measure yourself. See where it is that you might need to change. See see what it is you might need to ask Jesus to do in your life. All right, so... We're going to be focusing on Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17, but I actually want to back up and start reading at verse 12 so that we can see the context here. So Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12, follow along as I read. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here are five qualities that make you a helpful companion for the journey. Five qualities to help you be a a helpful companion to others on the journey. Now, each of these qualities you're going to see involves valuing something, prizing something, treasuring something. And, And the reason that's true is because in order to really change and become a different person, To really change, to really become a different person, always starts on the inside. You have to start by changing the inside. That's how Jesus works. He changes us from the inside out. This is not merely, uh, you know, something to just change an external. And so it always starts with what we well, with what we cherish, what with what we value, what we desire. You know, uh, the greatest commandment is what to Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It starts with what we love. It starts with what we value. So you're going to see each one of these qualities of a helpful companion involves valuing, cherishing, loving something. And for each one, I've kind of given its, its opposite, because I think that'll maybe help us get it. Describe what something is by also helping us see what it isn't. Okay, so you'll see what I mean. Here we go. First one, first quality for a helpful companion. Valuing Christ's peace over your preferences. Valuing Christ's peace over your preferences. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Isn't that a beautiful expression? I just love that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And I was looking at it and thinking how beautiful that was, and then I stopped and thought, well, what does that mean? And I realized I didn't know. I had to think about it. The peace of Christ, what what is that talking about? See, I don't know about you, but when I first think of peace, I inevitably think of an inner quality, you know, the peace of Christ in your heart. I think of something inside me, this kind of inner serenity, this inner peacefulness, you know, ah. And that's a wonderful thing, but that's not what it's talking about, I don't think. Okay, because the context here is all relational stuff. And that's why I started back in verse 12, so you can kind of pick this up. You know, talking about bearing with one another, you know, putting up with one another, forgiving one another, putting on love. So the peace here is a community thing. 
It's not an individual thing. And we know this is true because look at the rest of the sentence. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. You see that? The body, the church, the body of Christ. Um, We're talking here about peaceful interactions with one another as part of his body. See, Christians become part of one body when we're connected to Jesus. So, because we're connected to one another, we're called to live in peace with one another, with the peace that Christ has brought about through his death and resurrection. It's what 1 Thessalonians 5.13 means when it says, be at peace among yourselves. Okay, so here's what we're saying. Here's the point. Because Christ has died to unite us to himself and thereby to one another, uniting us to one another, forgiving us all our sins, forgiving all our sins, accepting us completely, making us completely equal with one another as children of God, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our background, regardless of our social structure, regardless of our race or gender or any, any of the other things that divide people in this world, in spite of all those things and beyond all those things, Christ has united us to himself and to one another. Therefore, we are to experience genuine oneness, peace, unity with one another. Because we have the same Father. We have the same Lord. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have, we're on the same mission. We're on the same team. We're on this journey together. And we can choose to value that. We can choose to focus on Jesus and how He has made us one. And we can focus on what he wants us to do together. And we can let that peace of Christ be the ruling principle over all of our desires, over all of our hearts. Or we can focus, we can value something else instead. We can value our own personal preferences. We can focus on what we desire. We can focus on what we want. And when that principle rules, there is no peace. Because see, if I, if I focus on what I prefer, if I focus on what I want, that will inevitably put me in conflict with what someone else prefers and what someone else wants. And then what happens? Well, now we have a power struggle to see who's going to get their way. And when that is the ruling thing, when that's what's going on, when, when it's just about getting my way, getting what I desire, that's when churches break apart over things like the color of the carpet and the temperature of the room or what name we'll call ourselves or the style of the music or what translation of the Bible the preacher uses. It's pathetic. 
It's absolutely pathetic. That kind of nonsense does absolutely nothing to help anybody journey with Jesus Christ. It doesn't help anybody walk with him. Okay? That's taking a personal preference. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking here about biblical absolutes. You know what a biblical absolute is. That's something the Bible says, this is how it's got to be. Okay, that's, that's different. I'm talking about personal preferences. And when we take a personal preference and we make it more important than the mission of the church, when we make that more important than the unity that Jesus died for, There's no peace. Now, it's fine to have preferences. Uh, we've all got preferences. You've got them, I've got them, everybody's got them. And there's a way that we can talk about them and we can think through them and we can decide which preferences we're going to prefer. And we can do all that as long as we remember what they are. Their preferences. Their preferences. Okay? We just don't ever want to make our preferences more important than the gospel of Jesus, okay? Because if we do that, we're not going to help people walk with Christ. We're going to hinder them. We're going to hinder them. So, valuing his peace over your preferences. Second quality, valuing being grateful over being demanding. Valuing being grateful over being demanding. Now, gratitude is a big deal in this passage. I don't know if you picked up on it, but it occurs three times in three verses. Verse 15, be thankful. Okay? Verse 16, with thankfulness in your heart. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, it's clear that a, that a thankful, grateful heart is something that God values very highly. But you know what? So do we. So do we. Don't you enjoy being around grateful people? I do. You know, people who just appreciate things, who, who are thankful for all the good things, all their blessings, they count their blessings, and they just, uh, they're just genuinely grateful for things. Man, it's fun to be around people like that. Um, many of you knew Hal Smith. Hal used to sit, you know, kind of right back there somewhere. And uh, he's now with the Lord. But I remember visiting him in the hospital after he had a very serious heart issue uh, right here on Sunday morning, nearly died right here. And by God's grace, God spared his life, and we got to enjoy several more years with Hal. And I remember visiting him in the hospital, and I can still remember the look on his face when I walked in the room to see him. He was so genuinely pleased. He looked astonished that anyone would bother to go and see him. He was so grateful. It was just so fun to go and spend time with him. See, he was a grateful man. Grateful people don't think they deserve favors and benefits and special treatment. In fact, they don't think they deserve any of the good things they have. And so whenever they receive something good, they're just, they feel, and they express appreciation for it. And that's so different than an attitude of demanding, an attitude of entitlement. And this is a big problem in the world we live in now. 
You know, demanding people expect good things. Demanding people expect others to do good to them. They feel entitled to all the blessings that they have. And then when those blessings change or something, then they get really upset. And I've been there. I know this. And if you you treat a demanding person in a way that doesn't quite live up to their expectations, they usually let you know. But here's the truth. According to the Word of God, the truth is none of us deserves anything good. That's why we're told to give thanks for every good thing, because every good thing is a gift. James 1.17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Be grateful for every good thing. You know, grateful people make wonderful companions for the journey. One of the things that's so great to be around grateful people is they're so appreciative of all the blessings, it helps you keep perspective. It helps you see, yeah, that's right. I should be thankful for all these things. I should be grateful. Uh, Find joy in all of the undeserved blessings of life, all of them. You know, so they're very helpful people to journey with. Demanding people, not so much. So become a person who values gratitude. Third quality, (laughs) valuing God's truth over your opinions. Valuing God's truth over your opinions. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So the idea here is to be more committed to the word of Christ than to our own ideas, our own speculations, our own feelings, our own thoughts and opinions. Well, now why would we be more committed to the word of Christ than to our own opinions? (laughs) Well, it seems like I shouldn't even have to say it, but it's because what Jesus says and what the scriptures teach can always be trusted. Always. All right? Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He said, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, okay, not the smallest little letter, not the smallest part of a letter will pass away from the law and the prophets until all is accomplished. He said, scripture cannot be broken. He didn't say it won't be broken. It won't, but he said it can't be. It can't be broken. What about human opinion? Well, it's broken all the time. It's broken all the time. It constantly changes. You know, what used to be good is now bad. And what used to be bad is now good. It just changes all the time. I remember it wasn't too long ago, and the nutritional experts were all saying, don't eat eggs. Do not eat eggs. They are bad for you. They will raise your cholesterol. Don't eat them. And now the nutritional experts are saying, yeah, go ahead, eat eggs. Eat eggs. They're full of good nutrition. And, you know, that cholesterol thing, they really don't do that. Hmm. I feel like I'm gambling every time I take an egg out of the refrigerator. (laughs) Good, bad, I don't know. And that's what something fairly trivial is breakfast. What about big things like marriage and parenting and human origins 
and the meaning of life. Whom are you going to trust on those big things? Whom are you going to rely on? Whose word? Whose, whose word are you going to take? See, if God has spoken a clear word on a subject, if God has spoken a clear word on a subject and you have a different opinion, I'm sorry, your credentials just aren't as good. Just... And if you really want to help somebody, if you really want to love somebody, if you really want to do what is in their best interests, then teach and admonish them the word of God, not just your opinions, because his truth overrules our opinions. So, valuing God's truth over your opinions. Number four, valuing worship over watching. Valuing worship over watching. Verse 16, singing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, when we gather like this, like we're doing right now, for the express purpose of drawing near to God and hearing from Him and then lifting our voices in praise to Him, you can come to a gathering like this with two very different mindsets. First of all, you can come prepared to participate, to get involved, to join in, to engage your heart and your mind and your voice and sing those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In other words, you can come prepared to worship. You can come with a mindset, I'm going to get into it and I'm going to worship God. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't really sing very much because I have a terrible voice. It's just not good. Well, you know what? God gave it to you. And God says, sing. He can take it. In fact, he rather enjoys it. You know, he doesn't mind some sour notes. If it's the best you can do. I mean, do the best you can. But if there's a few sour notes, he doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. You say, well, okay, maybe God doesn't mind a few sour notes, but the person sitting in front of me <laughs> might. Well, they won't if they're paying attention to this sermon. And if somebody else has a problem with your voice, they can take it up with God. You just sing. Sing. You know, that, that's a mindset of worship. Engage, join in, you know, because God wants you to sing with all your heart to him. Engage, mindset of worship. Or you can come with this other mindset, which is the mindset to come merely to watch, to observe, to evaluate. You know, kind of like a film critic or a, a music critic evaluating a performance. And you sit there and you think, oh, that, that part was pretty good. Eesh, that wasn't so hot. Ooh, I like that song. I like that song. I hate that song. I hate that song. Now, that sermon, I'd give it half a thumbs up. And what in the world was she thinking when she decided to wear that? And when it's all said and done, 
God has been worshipped, but not by you. You missed it. You missed it. You know why? Because you cannot critique and worship simultaneously. They are two completely different heart attitudes. You cannot criticize and worship at the same time. Do you want to help other people genuinely worship? Then worship. Frankly, whether or not any one of us particularly likes the service that much or not, that's not the main issue because God's not asking us for a critique. He's asking us for our heart because He's after our joy. He's after our joy. And so if you will choose to become preoccupied with His goodness and let the words focus your attention on Him and, and you will focus on singing to Him with thankfulness, those other things will become less, much less important. Value and worship over watching. And fifth, valuing Christ-centeredness over self-centeredness. Valuing Christ-centeredness over self-centeredness. And this really sums up everything else. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And what that tells us is that we, we don't want to make the mistake that's easy to make, which is to divide all of life up between the spiritual and the unspiritual, the sacred and the secular, as if God's really only interested in the spiritual stuff. No, that's not helpful thinking at all, because remember back in chapter 1, Jesus lived, died, and rose again to have the supremacy to be preeminent in all things. Not just all spiritual things, all things. We're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean saying in Jesus' name when you do everything. Okay, that'd just be weird. Just to say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. It, it, it's not the saying of it that's the issue. What does it mean to do something in Jesus' name? It means doing it the way he wants it done. Doing it while trusting him. Doing it while obeying him. Doing it while relying on his promises and his directions. Sure, say in Jesus' name about a particular thing if, if that's the right thing to do at that moment. But that's not the point. It's not what we say it's that everything we be, that we do be done the way he wants it done, for his honor. It means putting him at the very center of everything, so that everything else, like planets around the sun, everything falls into its proper orbit when he's at the center. If instead we put ourselves at the center, everything flies apart. Everything's out of whack. And, and really, that's the key to the whole passage. That's the key to becoming a person with these helpful qualities. You may be looking at this list saying, oh man, how do I become this kind of person? Well, do you notice how saturated this passage is with Jesus? Do you notice that? Look at it. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive as the Lord. Who's that? Jesus. Forgive as he has forgiven. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see it? Through him, in his name, his peace, his word, his way of forgiving. 
This is not a list of qualities any of us can achieve by our best efforts. These are qualities that Jesus himself develops in us as we listen to him, as we obey him, as we trust him in everything. It's as we become Christ-saturated people, you know? That's, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Make him the center of everything. And what he has told you and what he has told me is that in order to walk with him, we need companions who help us listen to him, who help us trust him, who help us obey him. Okay, and that's why we have things like the groups that meet the second hour. That's why we have small groups. Why? It's because we need to build those companionships. We need to get to know our companions. We need to help them and they help us listen to Christ, worship Christ, walk with Christ every day. We need those kind of people. And so we need to be those kind of people. Let's pray and ask Jesus to make us those kind of people. And if you're here today and you've never taken that first step of that journey to say yes to Jesus, to receive what he alone can give us, that forgiveness, that eternal life, that uh, new identity as a child of God, you could take that step today. Just ask him. you have questions, if you want to talk about it, I'd be happy to talk to you after we're done. Lord, we come now and we just say, help us, because we look at this list, even as I speak these words, I realize how far short I fall. Actually, I probably don't realize how far short I fall. You know how far short I fall. Of valuing the things that you value, and of putting away the things that you do not value. Lord, Help us be these kind of people, and we know we can only be these kind of people as we are saturated with the word of Christ and the the worship of Christ, and we forgive the way you forgive, and we trust you, and we obey you and everything. Lord, help us. Lord, be so real to us in our everyday experience that we truly do everything we do in your name. And we give thanks to our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's do some uh, singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I'm going to invite our team to come.